Well, good morning. If you'll join me in a word of prayer real quick before we get started. Father God, we just come before you. And God, we're so grateful, again, just for another opportunity to be here in your presence. Um, God, we know that you're with us everywhere that we go. But God, when we intentionally take this time to just come together and God sing praises to you, to remember the sacrifice that you made to give back, and then God, to just hear your word spoken. Uh, we, we just thank you that you have provided this opportunity, and God, there's power in this. And so I just pray that as we uh, just get ready to dive into what your word has to say, as you have a message for us to hear today, how we can just live more for you and your kingdom. God, I just pray that you open our hearts to it. Um, God, just let your power be revealed and let us just be transformed. Let us um, not leave here the same. So God, I just pray, reveal yourself to us in this time. Use me to be the vessel. And we love you so much. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So uh, when I was in college, I kind of got on this health kick. It was kind of where I started wanting to be serious. I heard about this thing called the dreaded freshman 20, where within your freshman year of college, you put on 20 pounds of weight. And I was like, I don't want that to happen. And so I decided that what I would start doing is I would start working out, eating healthy, running. It was dreadful, but I thought I'll actually run. And I would go to the gym and it never failed. I had in my mindset this, like, instead of the freshman 20, I'm going to get the freshman eight, the eight pack abs as a freshman. It's going to happen. And it would never fail. I'd go into the gym. I'd do two sets on an exercise and be like, whew. I feel the abs coming. I'm going to go home, eat some potato chips, and uh, watch some TV or something. I mean, it never failed. It always was that way. It was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to push myself. And without fail, within the first 10 minutes, I was like, forget this. This is hard. I'm going to go home. And honestly, you know, uh, starting in December, you all probably heard about, in the words of my wife, this ridiculous meal plan thing that the Eddington boys, Indigo, Ryan, um, a couple other people we all did, where we decided to get rid of all carbonated beverages, all sugars, all anything that really tasted good, I thought. Um, and, and just to let you in on something real quick, it gets worse than that, I realized. And so if you want to join us on another journey, that sounds so fun, um, we're going to start the Daniel Fast tomorrow. This has nothing to do with my sermon. But uh, I want to welcome you in on pushing yourself in this. It's called the Daniel Fast. And I thought that we got rid of everything good, but it realizes there's more good things that you can get rid of. And... It, call it healthy. I don't get it. But uh, the Daniel fast is pretty much you go vegan, which means nothing. Like no healthy food at all, in my opinion. Like you got to get rid of anything that comes from an animal. So no meat right there, no honey, no sweeteners, no coffee, no, if it's good, it's gone. It's pretty much what it is. And if you want more information on that, I direct you to my wife. Um, she has the information on that. Uh, Sam and Will are joining us in this. It's only 21 days. That is all you're committing to it. But I think, hey, you should join us in this because suffering, 
suffering, what is it? No, it's misery loves company. And I would love your company in this just to know that I am not alone because I think she's going to love it and I'm having a bad attitude before we even start it. But anyways, <laughs> I say all of that because what, what it is is I would try all of this stuff on my own. I mean, I've tried getting rid of stuff out of my life on my own and it never fails I always bring it back. I always go running back to it. I've cut energy drinks out multiple times, coffee out multiple times. Uh, I've cut in or worked in weightlifting, running, and every time I do it on my own, I never get anywhere. I always fall back into the same thing. And the same way that I always see where if I do not have a fellow person who pushes me and encourages me and holds me accountable, if I don't have somebody there like, uh, you can't eat that, or you, you need to go because you're looking a little fat, Andy, or whatever it is, like, you, you need to get working. You need to push yourself harder. If I don't have those people, I fall short. I see in so many Christians— that if we don't have what I call a community, what other people call family of God, what other people call just a close group, if you don't have people in your life that are going to do that for you, not in a physical standpoint, but in a spiritual standpoint, what I see is a lot of Christians start falling back. It's like, hey, I, I got rid of this struggle for a while. And then in the secret where nobody's around, I started falling back for it. And everybody would understand that, like, yeah, accountability is a good thing. The world sees this as a good thing. Facebook has groups that you can join around biking or knitting or whatever you want it to be. They have this to where you can be in a community of like-minded people to push one another on, to help you go far, to help you strive through all of this. But it seems like, honestly, in the church, in the Christian realm, that's a taboo topic. Like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Let me just have my Sunday morning thing. Let me just, you know, come sit beside somebody and then leave, and I'll see you again next week. But we're not really going to push each other. There's not going to be anybody that is able to speak into my life or see really behind the false wall that I put up and know, hey, things aren't actually right. Like, I can put a fake smile on, I can act like everything is great, but in the grand scheme of things, I've actually fallen back into this struggle. I've actually gone back this way. Because again, we are in a spiritual battle. I mean, Ephesians tells us that. That there is this war that is going on. Every day you wake up as a believer, you step foot on the battlefield. And wars are not meant to be fought alone. We need fellow believers. We need soldiers in Christ to fight with us, to help us through all of this. I mean, even Paul says it about bodily training. He says, hey, bodily training is good, but spiritual training, this is 1 Timothy 4, 8. For while bodily training has its value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so we all see that, yeah, bodily training's good, spiritual training should be much more, but just as much as we need trainers and we need encouragers and we need people to fight alongside us in the gyms, in our meal plans, in whatever it is, it's so much more important that we have that on the spiritual aspect. 
that we have people coming alongside us to help us. Because the whole goal as a Christian, as a believer, is found in Matthew 6.33. This is what you should be doing every day of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Every day, that is what you as a believer are called to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the sole reason that we're going through this series right now, about reprioritizing the things of God so that we can take that passage seriously, so that we can seek first the kingdom of God. And honestly, the first two weeks so far, I bet nobody would push back against that one. Every single person in here who believes that in, in Jesus Christ as their Savior, who has given their life over to God, every single person would say, yes, I should be reading my Bible more, and yes, I should be praying a lot more. Everybody would see the benefit and the value in that. But whenever we start talking about these next couple, I feel like that's where it's going to be like, hold on, that's messy. That's a little more time-consuming. That's a little more difficult because people are messy. People have problems. I have problems. The Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, said, hey, I have a ton of problems. He said that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And so we, that, that's what makes it so hard, is that we see these people that aren't perfect, like we assume that we are, even though we know we're not. And it's like, man, you know, yeah, I should probably go, but that's hard. I don't have time. I got so much other things to do. And so what we're looking at today is prioritizing the family of God, about how this life is not for us alone, but how we are to dive in after God's people. Because it's important to God. Right there, that's why it should be important to us. Because it is so important to God. Honestly, I would say it is the second most important thing to God. Based on Matthew chapter 22. Found in verse 37. The greatest commandment, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. A.K.A. seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Love him with everything you have. Live for him with everything that you have. Heart, soul, mind makes up the entire body. Live for him. And then he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not love yourself. Not seek your own interests first, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's why I believe that Christians seeking out one another in Christian fellowship that goes beyond the things of this world is so important because I believe right there, Jesus said, this is the second most important thing, to love your neighbor as yourself, to seek out their interests, to make their well-being a priority over your own, to, to spur them on and to just help them. Because an old saying says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to actually get somewhere and go far, go together. If you really want to make it through this, go together. And again, the world believes this. The world sees, this is the world concept, sees the need for community. I mean, honestly, I'm not recommending this, but go to a bar. Don't go to a bar. But 
Look at bars. There, that's better. Look at bars. Look at the theme song for Cheers, where everybody knows your name, where you're known, where people care about you. And that's the world. And then you go to churches. And what do you get at a lot of churches? Hey, don't ask me stuff. Like, nah, I'm here. I'm going to fill in my hour, and then I'm going to get gone. And maybe we'll see each other next week. Don't, let's not, let's not get too deep with this thing called life. The world honestly feels like they got it right in this sense. And the church is, it, it feels like the church is falling short. That we are leaving so many wounded Christians to struggle on their own. And what happens? They find bars. They find substances. They find inappropriate relationships. They go and seek healing in all the wrong places because God's people are not fulfilling. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're not seeking after. It's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a circle and I'm going to fill all my time in here. And if I have a couple seconds, then I might say, I'll pray for you and call that good because I don't have enough time for God's people. Whereas what we're looking at today is how it should be a priority for us. Because look at ever since the creation of the world, ever since man was created, God noticed, hold up, it is not good for man to be alone. And then when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit and they fall short, everything starts to fall apart. Human fellowship breaks. You have Cain and Abel, the first murder where there is hatred between brothers. There is jealousy with one brother to the other, and so he murders his brother, and it has been going on ever since. Where we have been just falling apart, where God is taking, or not God, where Satan is taking the thing that is so important to God, Christian fellowship, and he's allowing wedges to be put in there. He's allowing for us to be like, I don't like their voice. I don't like what they wore. I don't like how they said this. I don't like how they looked at me. I don't, I don't like whatever it is. So I'm not going to be there anymore. So I'm not going to talk to them anymore. So I'm going to do a hi and then leave really quick and call it good. And it's destroying the army of Christ. It's destroying what God is calling us to do. And this is what Jesus came back to do. Jesus came back so that we could have fellowship. Number one, prim primarily with God. He came so that we could have right relationship with God. But he also came so that we could actually be reunited with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So that we could be so joined together that we are the closest knit group than any other group in the world. The blood of Christ should join God's people more than anything. I mean, look at 1 John chapter 1 verse 7, where it says, If we walk in the light, if we're living for God as he is in the light, we have fellowship with who? With one another. If, if, if you believe in Jesus and I believe in Jesus, we have fellowship that goes far deeper than sports or Olympics or anything like that. We have fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But again, you know, I throw out this word community a lot. Honestly, this is not my first time to preach on community. I've hit on it probably once a year because I believe it's that important. 
But what do I mean when I say community? Do I consider this community? Honestly, no. This is something different. When I say community, what I am talking about is having somebody, a couple people in your life who know you well enough that they can push you along who know you well enough that they're bold enough to call you on your stuff because Proverbs tells us that the heart is deceitful. Jeremiah repeats that, that the heart is deceitful above all else. Proverbs says that a man plans his own ways, that the man's heart is not to be trusted, but yet I believe it too often. And I need people in my life who will call me on it, who will be like, man, you are following your heart, and honestly, your heart's leading you astray. That is not what God's word says. And so when I say community, I'm talking about people who are in your life that can guide you according to God's word. That's important. Who will guide you according to the word of God, not according to anything else, but who will speak scripture into your life, who know you that well. But again, I believe there are so many believers who don't think that's important, who think, yeah, I can read God's word, I can pray, but really, honestly, I don't, I don't need that because I'm good. I refer you back to Jeremiah and back to Proverbs, where it says your heart is deceitful above all else, where it says my heart is deceitful above all else. I mean, just think in your life, how many times you have personally justified sin, how many times you have, well, I know God's word is telling me not to, but I think it's okay. I think I'll go ahead and do it. And God is like, no. And if you had a group of people who were able to speak into your life, they would say, that is wrong. Stop it. Stop living according to the world. Stop following your impulses. So I believe that, honestly, if you think that Sunday morning is all you need for the entire week, I believe you are missing out on a lot. And I'm not talking about programming beyond Sunday morning. What I'm talking about is intentional relationships with fellow believers, getting together, talking about life and God's plan for life. I mean, I've, I've heard it said by Andy Stanley. He said, we, we learn in rows. Right now, hopefully, you all are learning from the Word of God. Hopefully, every Sunday you come here, you learn. Because we learn in rows. But if you actually want to grow with a fellow believer, you got to get face-to-face. You got to actually dig in and dig below the surface and be like, hey, I know you say you're good right now. Like, this is my tell when I'm really quiet. When I'm just not talking, that, that's my tell that there are stirrings going on in the inside. Like I might say a couple things, but I'm not going to really reveal a whole lot. And so it's like somebody sees that because they know me. Somebody sees what your tell is because they know who you are. And they're like, hey, I know you just said I'm good, but really your tell's showing right now. Your poker face is horrible. So let's, let's go. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's, let's go grab a bite to eat. Let's just meet. What is going on? We need that. And really, honestly, the Bible says 59 different ways that we love or that we serve or 59 different ways that we are there for one another. 59 different times in the Bible 
It tells us how we are to live in this thing called community, relationship, family, whatever term you want to ascribe to it. 59 different ways. How many of those can you fulfill in the hour and a half that we're here? Or the hour that we're here tonight? Or the hour that you get together Wednesday? How many ways can you fulfill 59 one another's if you just say, hey, I did my Sunday morning thing, that's it. I don't need anything else. I would say you are missing out on a lot. That you can encourage one another while here, but not even on that deep level. How do you rebuke one another? How do you admonish? How do you uh, just really, on a deeper level, encourage? Instead, the way that you fulfill these 59 one another's is again, face to face. By, by living in relationship with one another. Sitting at tables. Helping one another out. Having coffee. Running errands. Whatever it is, the, the vast majority of those 59 one another's are accomplished outside of this building. Because remember, you're the church. This isn't church. It's an aspect of church. This building isn't church. It's where the church gathers. But each one of you make up the church, and you don't get a check out of being the church once you leave this building. Instead, that's where you really go and live out the aspect of church when you're not here. And a, a deeper reason that I believe, I think Paul sums up really well the reason that we should seek to actually get together and to be with one another beyond this. He sums it up really well in Romans chapter 1. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then he explains what that spiritual gift is. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine, so that when we see each other, you can encourage me and I can encourage you. And through that encouragement, you're strengthened. Because honestly, this world is hard. I mean, honestly, there are a lot of bad things, stressful things, annoying things. I mean, just things that make you just want to bash your head against a wall going on in our world today. And I'm not even talking about nationally. I'm talking about in our own lives. Oh my goodness, I got this coworker, not you, Kurt, but I got this coworker that is just driving me crazy. Not you either, Sam, but uh, so it's me. But uh, anyways, it's like, you know, I got this coworker that is driving me crazy. I just really want to quit my job or I just really want to like wring them around the neck or whatever it is. I just want to. And we need somebody to be like, hold on, how can you be the light of Jesus to them? How can you show them the love of Christ, the patience, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of Christ. How can you, because it's not about your comfort, how can you, where you're at right now, live for Christ through that moment? I mean, we need to be in those situations to strengthen one another. Because again, the world is hard. I mean, Jesus said this, Matthew 16, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But sometimes we're questioning, Jesus, where's that overcoming? And we need our fellow believers to come alongside us. And sometimes Sunday is too far away because it's going to happen this afternoon. And you're like, oh man, my kid, my spouse, 
my dog, whatever it is, they are driving me up the wall. And you're going to need somebody to talk you down, to help you see what Christ is calling you to be. And here's the thing. Honestly, I don't care who you are or who you say you are. I do not believe you are made to live a life of isolation. Just look through all of Proverbs. And it talks over and over about how we are called to have uh, iron sharpens iron so one man strengthens another. Over and over, an abundance of counsel gives wise wisdom. You should not wage war without seeking counsel. I mean, over and over, it repeats how we should have counsel in our lives. And, and honestly, I was thinking of this just as Dave was talking about watching the Olympics and everything. And it's like every single person in the Olympics has a group that is pushing them on. Like, I don't care even if it's like weightlifting where it's like one person on the stage and they're trying to lift 225 kilograms over their head, they are not doing that alone. Because I watched one the other day of a guy who won gold back in the 2016 Olympics and he promised his wife before she passed away in a car wreck, he promised her, I'm gonna win gold at the Olympics this year. And he went out there and he got it up there and he did it and right when he dropped that weight, he had four other men jumping around him, rejoicing with him because they even see it's an individual sport, but they're there to push him and to encourage him. They're not lifting the weight for them. They're helping him push through it. And that's what we're called to do with one another. That's what Galatians 6.2 tells us, to bear one another's burdens, to be there for one another, to help each other through difficult times. I mean, those coaches, they couldn't just take that way off and be like, hey, six of us are lifting it all. That was his burden to lift, but they could help push him. They could help be like, you got this. It is in you to get through this. You've done this before. You can get through it. They were there to encourage and spur him on. That's what we need. We need people to help us. And honestly, sometimes it does take, because like just going back to weightlifting, when you're bench pressing and you put too much of a weight on there and you like pull it off the rack and it drops on you. And you're like, oh crud, I'm stuck now. And then if you have other men, they come along or women and they bear your burden. They help you get that off. They remove it from you. And so we're called to do that with one another. Nobody is made to live isolation, to live life alone. I mean, look at the animal kingdom even. They realize what happens if antelope are caught alone. The predator gets it. The predators are out there looking around and they're like, ooh, there's little Joe over there. I'm going to go get him because he's alone. Whereas all the ones that are hanging out in a group, they are more protected when we go isolated, that's where we're our weakest. That's where we start falling into this deceitful heart that we have. I mean, I just want to share three examples in the Bible even of where people saw, hey, isolation, being alone is not a good thing. And they may not even seem like your typical situations. The first one is Elijah. 
Found in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, prophet Elijah. And what prophet Elijah does is he ends up defeating all the prophets of Baal in a really cool battle of the gods. And uh, he didn't do it, God did. But then all of a sudden he had all the prophets of Baal executed. Jezebel, who's the queen, is not happy about that. And so she wants Elijah dead. And so Elijah, he has to retreat, and he goes to this place called the Brook of Kidron. And he's being fed by ravens, and he's over there, and he's having a pity party moment, which, understandable. I mean, his life, they're desiring it. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10, he talks to God this way. He said, I have been very, oh my goodness, excuse me. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And then if you skip down to verse 14, exact same wording. He says the same thing, like, God, I'm alone. There's nobody here but God. Excuse me, God's response in verse 18. I love it. God is telling him, hey, go, and this is what I'm commanding you to do. And then in verse 18, he says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that not, have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah's there like, God, there's nobody else. I am alone in this world. And you know what God says? You're not alone. There are 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee to Baal. I mean, how many times do we feel in this life, God, man, I just feel so alone. Like, it feels like nobody understands. Nobody gets what I'm going through. God is just me and nobody else. And we need to know, hey, you're not alone that there are fellow believers who know what you're going through, who have been through the same thing, who want to help you out and spur you on. I mean, look at Jesus. <laughs> His whole ministry consisted of living in this kind of community. He spent three years walking with 12 individuals. He was very close to three of them, so close that one of them just said, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I mean, he was close to them. And then in his darkest hour, Jesus knew that he needed other people to help encourage him. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. Jesus, he went with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking, so he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Oh, you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, Jesus, he was like, man, I needed you guys to be praying with me because what you don't realize is this is the darkest hour of my life because in just a little bit, God's going to turn his back on me because I'm going to take the sin of the world upon myself. I need you to watch and pray. Help me out through this. Be here with me. And thankfully, Jesus had just total dependence on God the Father, even when they fell short. But still, there is the need 
for having them there with him. And then look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, the history of Paul is one of struggles for the cross. Not even self-inflicted struggles, but over and over he's talking about, man, I am in prison because of the gospel. I am in chains because of the gospel. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says all the things Paul went through, every single thing there is because of the gospel. Beatings, stonings, whippings, lashings, like shipwrecks, all of it because of his belief in the gospel. And all but two of Paul's letters, in every single letter, Paul talks about, you know what, I am ready to see you. I mean, line up, if you went through 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where you would be, like, man, I need encouragement. I need to know other people are here. Romans 1.11, we read it earlier. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Then he wrote to the church in Corinth, for I do not want to see you now in just passing. I don't want to just be like, hey guys, good seeing you and then going. I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits. I hope that we can be together and strengthen one another. Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't forget about one another. Ephesians 6, 21 through 22. He just gave the whole, you are in a spiritual warfare. You have the armor of God. And then he says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Hey, let you need a report. I'm going to send somebody to you so that they can be there with you. He repeats that almost word for word in Colossians 4, 7 through 9 about sending Tychicus so that he, they can be encouraged. 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, I've always been with you in my heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And then in Timothy, 2 Timothy, he says, I remember your tears. I long to see you that my joy may be filled. Philemon 22, he says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I hope that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Paul saw the need that, hey, if you're going to get through the struggles of this life, hey, I need to see fellow believers. I need to see people and not just see them in passing, really see them, really grow with them, really be with them. And so that's where I want to close. Is I, same way that I've challenged every sermon in this series. Because honestly, again, it's like, yeah, I can wake up 10 minutes and read the word. I can, uh, you know, do an extra 10 minutes of prayer. But man, to really invest in somebody's life, that's going to take time. That's going to take effort. But the challenge is, what is one area of your life where you can say, we're going to give this up so that we can intentionally be in a relationship with a fellow believer? Maybe you're already doing that. Maybe it's like, yeah, we get together and we're already diving into God's word together. Awesome. Keep going because there's going to be things that are going to try and pull you away from that. Maybe you're not already doing that. 
Because it's like, man, we got sports programs, we've got uh, after school activities, we've, because honestly, summer's almost over, things are gonna get busier. And so without intentionality, these things are just gonna fade away. They're gonna be put on the back burner. How can you intentionally, that's a key word, this takes intentionality. You can't sit back and wait for it to happen. You have to make the move of saying, hey, I want to grow deeper in my faith, and I want to grow deeper in my faith with somebody else. And so I'm going to reach out to somebody and say, hey, like, you can do it in fun ways. I have nothing against being like, hey, you want to go play golf? But while you're golfing, not just be like, hey, how about those Olympics? Man, how about this NFL season coming up? How about work? How, you know, not just talking about the trivial things of life, but instead intentionally, hey, how's your walk with Christ been? Hey, is there any way that you're struggling, like, that I can pray for you? If you want to give me details, cool. If not, I'm just going to pray for you. Is there anything that you feel is putting a wedge between you and Christ? Is there any way that I can just check in with you later and say, hey, how are you doing in this situation? I mean, we make it weird, but I don't think it should be. I think truly caring for one another should be a natural way of the Christian life. And so it takes intentionality to dive in deeper with one another because God created us to be in close relationship. I mean, look at what 1 John says over and over. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Chapter 3, verse 23. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he loved, just as he has commanded us. And then chapter 4, verse 21, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And then Jesus said this in John 15, verse 13, he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So often we get that call, and it's like, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this. And our thoughts go to, I have so much to do, I don't have time for this. Greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your brother. That you say, man, let the stakes burn. You're more important than these T-bones. Or you know what? Let, I'm, I'm going to miss the Olympics tonight because I, I need to invest in this right here. It's easy to die. Like, a lot of times we read that verse, and it's like, yep, I take a bullet for somebody. Greater love. But it's hard to daily die. It's hard to daily give up our lives for our brothers, but yet that's what God calls us to do. So this week, prioritize one another. Prioritize diving in deeper with a fellow believer into God's Word. Because I believe, again, God is wanting us to grow through this. Prioritizing God's word, prioritizing prayer, and then prioritizing one another. Father God, again, we just uh, thank you, God, that, I mean, maybe right now we're already finding every reason that we don't want to do this. And God, as short as our list might be, your list could be huge as to why you would not have desired to be in relationship with us. But you spare nothing. 
so that we could walk in the light, so that we could have relationship with you. Thank you for that price that you paid so that we could be with you in all of our filth, in all of our sin, in all of our wretchedness. You took our sin upon the cross so that now we can be holy and righteous and pure. God, I just pray that as we just... uh, strive to live for you, to to please you, and just to, to seek first your kingdom. God, just help us to truly take your commandments seriously, that we love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, and then, God, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. God, may we just grow closer so that your body of believers can be strengthened, so that whatever this world throws at us, we're prepared because we're relying on you and we're strengthened by our brothers and sisters. God, work in us, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.